Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Charlian Dropouts Lecture Hall. Just before the episode starts, real quick, I'm your host, Victor Hunter, uh, and I'm excited to bring you the first of a multi-part series I'm calling Hoplology 100. This series is an in-depth look at the weaponry and arms of the Warriors of Light. They're history within the Final Fantasy franchise, their in-game lore, and the real-world subjects on which these weapons are based. For fans of the roundtable episodes of Charlie and Dropouts, those aren't going anywhere. You can always find our usual monthly episodes hosted by Nadia Oxford over on the $5 subscription level at patreon.com slash bloodgodpod. But it's the Wild West here on the free feed. And I'm going to get experimental. Look forward to other deep dives into the esoteric like our guided audio tours series, as well as interviews and a ton of other exciting stuff I have planned for the new year. If you like particular formats or have topics you'd like to see covered, you can tell us directly by subscribing at the $1 level on the Patreon to get access to our exclusive Discord server. $1 to let your voice be heard. Now that's democracy, probably. Without further ado, welcome to Charlie and Dropouts. If it's as you say, the tales I heard growing up might well have some truth to them. In particular, the one about the maiden Wii U springs to mind. It was the most detailed among them, you see. She was a right ravishing lass, this Wii U, with bright green eyes and a, a fiery spirit to match. Many of the weapons forged by Geralt Blackthorn are based on a modern Eorzean understanding of a legendary warrior of the Eorzean past. They're not usually literally the historical weapon that their name comes from, but replicas. He encourages the Warrior of Light to use this symbol of heroes past to carve out their own place in the history books. But what if that weapon is the history book? And what if that history book is a French New Wave noir spy thriller that dramatically reduces the degrees of separation between James Bond, Dadaism, and Earthbound? I wanted to start this series off with a doozy. So in today's lecture, we're going to explore the exciting, unpredictable, and let's face it folks, sexy origins of the Summoner's level 50 relic weapon, the Veil of Wii U, and the linguistic serendipity that brought it to us. The problem with tracking down the origins of the Veil of Wii U is that it doesn't exist. Twice. This is Hoplology 101.
relic weapons in Final Fantasy XIV come from a long lineage of RPGs straddling the delicate line between illusion and theft. What better shorthand for expressing the potency of your player's new primary verb doer than by calling it Excalibur? The first person who put a sword named Masamune in their game was a genius. Invoking names like Excalibur with so much real-world weight behind them means that the player will auto-fill the negative space around the weapon with their own understanding. And all the heavy lifting that would have required lines of dialogue or, or flavor text to accomplish is already done. The connotation is enough to convey the weight of what the character holds in their hands. In the era of early gaming hardware, plucking a weapon of legend from the Akashic Records is a good way to avoid committing precious in-game memory to world-building when it's better spent making your game go. The Final Fantasy XIV grimoire, known cryptically as the Veil of Wii U, isn't based on any real-world artifact, mythological or otherwise. Why this one? Why, in an arsenal of Longinuses and, and Gaibolgs and the dozens of other RPG weapon cliches, does the summoner relic appear to be so completely unsearchable by name? Green Eyes. The first thing you'll find is that the Veil of Wii U's name originates from an item all the way back in 1998's English release of Final Fantasy Tactics on the Sony PlayStation, directed by Yasumi Matsuno. In Final Fantasy Tactics, items called artifacts collected through side missions often contain flavor text that fleshes out the world. Some items exist purely as nods to previous Final Fantasy titles like the the Final Fantasy IV's Rat Tail, or Gilgamesh's Excalipur from Final Fantasy V. Hardly the first time Final Fantasy sourced its references from inside the house, but neither is it the illusory event horizon that Final Fantasy XIV is. The in-series comprehensive coverage of these artifacts brings to mind another of Matsuno's works, FF12, with the, the 12 espers being aligned with different mainline entries in the Final Fantasy series, but that's a whole other can of shadowless, beautiful worms. Other artifacts in Tactics include books that supposedly tell tales of Ivalice's past. One such book is entitled The Veil of Wii U. The in-game description of the artifact reads, The momentous events described in this book, if true, hold the potential to rewrite the pages of history. It documents the life of a woman now all but forgotten. That sounds like tasty literature, Matsuno. Especially in a game like Tactics, explicitly about... The reshaping and recontextualizing of major historical events. It's, it's a shame it's just an item in an inventory menu in the English 1998 release of Final Fantasy Tactics, like so many items in JRPG inventory menus. And we'll never be able to open the cover and read it ourselves.
Unfortunately, that tantalizing item description doesn't really tell us the why of it all. Why this book for the relic weapon? Why Summoner? Green eyes. Unfortunately, details on the FF14 side of things are also sparse. The relic weapons, despite apparent historical significance, only get a few lines of unique ale-scented dialogue pertaining to their history and previous owner. One as an introduction to set the stage for the, the footsteps you'll be following, and one more once you've provided Geralt with a tome from his business partner and... Business partner? Rowena. The dialogue for the Vale of Wii U questline reads... Any road? Let's talk about that text you brought. It contains the many trials and tribulations of our green-eyed heroine. As you might expect, the tome tells you a fuller story than you get from your grandmama. The book Geralt mentions, titled Under the Veil, apparently a record of the life of Wii U, sits in our inventory. Final Fantasy tactically unreadable. Unknowable. But we're not without clues, either. Final Fantasy XIV has a tendency to ground its series callbacks in the world of Final Fantasy XIV. Anyone can tell you that the ruby, emerald, and diamond weapons aren't there for some Ernest Kleinian cameo. The Warring Triad, the Crystal Tower, and the Nation of Ivalice itself have weight in the world of Final Fantasy XIV, and the, the push and pull of cause and effect are reflected in the writing of the world around them. So, both the Final Fantasy Tactics, Veil of Wii U, and the Final Fantasy XIV, Under the Veil, contain corroborating information, as far as we know. One, there was a woman. Two, sometime in the past. And three, the flavor text surrounding the books both proclaim that you would be amazed at what's in here. Ooh, I wish you could read this beautiful, beautiful book! One thing die-hard Final Fantasy XIV fans have learned to do when in need of further information or context, is to look at the different languages the script is written in. Sometimes, different localizations prioritize different information, and nuances might be found in French that are missing in English, or Japanese, or German, or vice versa. And you never know what sorts of insights you might gain by comparing them. French. Green eyes. This comparing of scripts isn't a new thing. Just look at all the quote-unquote uncut fan retranslations of games that were in vogue in the 90s and 2000s. Dorks have been asserting that the Japanese version is actually totally more mature and has big grown-up swears in it for eons. So what if we, real quick, just on a whim, Use this same treatment on our old friend, 
Final Fantasy Tactics. Earlier, I specifically referred to the Veil of Wii U first appearing in the English 1998 release of Final Fantasy Tactics. But Tactics came out the previous year in Japan. It contains no Veil of Wii U. In its place is an identical-looking book with a suspiciously different name. And remember when I said that this book just sits there in your inventory and can't be read? I lied. Sort of. The Veil of Wii U in the English version cannot be read. Its Japanese counterpart, however, is a whole other story. Because it literally is. A whole other story! Sleeping in the cocoon of the Japanese version of Final Fantasy Tactics is a series of what I would have called in 1998 Choose Your Own Adventures. Do, I'm sure, to time constraints, and a severely lacking perceived return on investment, the English version left these your-own-adventures unchosen, and they were dummied out of the final version of the game. Effectively, these games within a game are sound novels, a particular type of adventure game popularized by developer Chunsoft in the early 90s in Japan. Sound novels tell their stories primarily through on-screen text while using the console hardware to play scene-appropriate music or sound effects to enhance the experience and make reading very cool. Sound novels will also often feature simple graphics accompanying the text to help set the tone. In the English-speaking world, it wouldn't be uncommon to see someone tweet about a game like this with the term visual novel. A bit of a miscategorization, since the term visual novel wasn't coined until the release of 1996's Shizuku for PC. Developer Leaf dubbed the title a visual novel in its marketing to emphasize the expressive and colorful and profoundly 90s character portraits that would accompany the on-screen text. Some other titles that would distinctly fall under the sound novel umbrella, if it hadn't been conflated with visual novels in the West, are games like Radical Dreamers for the Satellaview, play novel Silent Hill on the Game Boy Advance, and The Best Parts of Near. So... Here we have our playable sound novel. It's a, a fun bit of trivia, but how could it connect to FF14 in any sort of meaningful way? Uh, is a story within a story? Um, Summoner Relic is a book? They 
Needed a name of a book? Vale of Wii U is a book. But, but why does Geralt keep mentioning green eyes? Enter Final Fantasy IX. Partway through the journey of Final Fantasy IX, protagonist and serial harasser Zidane and his party enter an ancient, forgotten city. Here, the party begins to learn about the secret, forgotten history of the world they inhabit. In the English version of the game, the name of the city is displayed prominently in the Latin alphabet when you first enter. In the Japanese version, it shows both the Latin alphabet and the katakana. Katakana that the city shares with the name of the book in the Japanese version of Final Fantasy Tactics. From this, we can assume that the city is a reference to the book. Uh, Final Fantasy IX was known for having tons of throwbacks to previous entries in the series, and, and they must have been meant to have the same name. That name is Oiver, French for green eyes. Somewhere during the localization of Final Fantasy Tactics, an overworked, underpaid translator on a deadline saw those katakana, which roughly read, Wiu veru. Wiu veru. Wiu veru. Wiu veru. Wiu veil? Veil of Wiu. Sure. And with that, our green-eyed heroine was lost to the history book. If it weren't for good old Geralt, someone on the Final Fantasy XIV team had to have known about this mistranslation, or else Geralt wouldn't have mentioned anything about green eyes. What else do you know, Geralt? Alas, she goes on to meet a premature end. According to the tale, she and her comrades square off against Odin, the dark divinity. When the battle takes an ill turn, she sacrifices herself to save her party. Right tragic, I know. This is information he gives us near the beginning of the questline, before we procure Under the Veil for him, which reveals a fuller story than you'd get from your grandmama. But again... We're unable to read it ourselves. Time to go back to the source. To the sound novel this whole mess came from. To see if we can glean any further information. It's time to peer beyond the veil. Simon is a 
beautiful woman living with her lover, an amnesiac would-be author by the name of Pablo. Every morning, he recites to her a passage from his next book. Every morning, the passage is different, but he insists that this time he'll finish it, as long as Simon, his muse, doesn't leave him. The two flirt, but more often than not, she coquettishly denies his advances and goes about her day. Sometimes, she asks about the story and what inspired it. Sometimes, she asks Pablo if he remembers any more about his life. Sometimes, she kills him. Oiver is not a game within a game. Oiver is a masterpiece within a masterpiece. After a short scene plays out, the reader is given two or three choices for how Simone should respond to the situation she's in. One option stands in stark contrast to the others and is almost always on screen. Kill him. The him can vary from scene to scene, but the one we are most often confronted by is Pablo. This struggling artist who greets Simone every day, heaping praise upon her for giving his life meaning with her beauty, can be killed by his lover without ever knowing the reason. The reader, too, will never see the bigger picture if they're too trigger-happy. But even then, this bad ending will tantalizingly reveal Simone being thanked by a mysterious employer with a Well done, Oiver. You're free until your next assignment. Report to any office within a month. We'll have your new orders. A bientôt, Oiver. The relatively brief nature of the sound novel Oiver makes it perfect for repeat playthroughs. You'll stumble through the dialogue choices and meet your end a half dozen different ways. You'll find new, mutually exclusive twists that inform your next playthrough a decade before Chunsoft's own genre-defining nine hours, nine persons, nine doors. You may even stumble onto an unfamiliar scene wherein you find yourself trapped in a literal maze of branching, dungeon-crawler-like options, only to discover that Simone was playing Pablo's latest creative writing experiment, a choose-your-own-adventure novel, before snapping back to reality. Or, or at least, Simone's current reality. The reality you have chosen within the book, within this game! But even that sells it far too short. Because this isn't just a book within a game. Remember, Final Fantasy Tactics is about the stories behind the story, the untold histories that reveal the nuances that have been obfuscated by the passing of time and the whims of the victors. The memes best left hidden by the creators of context, Raiden. At the end of Oiver, 
is an afterword by the author. I never have had much talent for writing novel-like tales, but a few months ago, while working on a text on number theory, I had the opportunity to take up translating this Oiver text. The original is a bit damaged, and I had to rely on other translations as well as official histories such as the Tales of Anabia, but I have stayed as true to the original as possible when putting it into modern language. Whether this tale is true or not has been the subject of much debate for some time, but considering the convincing structure of the story here presented, I cannot help but believe that it is not entirely fiction. The author goes on to explain the real-world parallels between the characters within Oiver and the historical events alluded to in the text. Of course, when I say real-world, I mean the fictional world of Ivalice within Final Fantasy Tactics. The afterword is given by a character named Kai Montesto, and the fan translation I've been reading from was written by Mark Rose and is currently in a playable format on the Final Fantasy Wiki, complete with links for branching dialogue. I highly, highly encourage anyone listening to give it a read. For the sake of the episode, I do need to delve into some mild spoilers, so if you want that experience, go ahead and pause right here, and then come on back. My love My green I love We'll watch the clouds from above Come on The Oiver in the sound novel is Simone's codename. She works as a double agent for an organization set up to quell a rebellion against the royalists. In her past, she double-crossed Pablo and now monitors him on behalf of her organization to see if he has regained any memories of his time in the Resistance. With each new scene and each new passage from Pablo's work, he subconsciously writes details of his forgotten past into his works. Oiver's organization insists that she dispose of Pablo, but she insists that Pablo may yet reveal important information if she can jog his memory just a tiny bit more. It is truly the makings of a romantic spy thriller classic. It's no mistake that the characters are given French names. Oiver would fit in perfectly with the New Age French cinema of the 60s, the, the love affairs, the noir influence, and the way it breaks form and deconstructs itself in real time while set against the backdrop of social unrest. Invoking character names like Pablo and Duchamp is a bit Kojima-esque in its on-the-nosery, but the character of Simone, Oiver herself, our green-eyed heroine, deserves some attention. This is admittedly a bit of speculation on my part, but I think I've earned it. You see, I believe the character of Simone is named after the French actress Simone Simon, active from the 30s into the 70s in both France and Hollywood, Simon passed away in 2005, but lived what I would call 
a life. One detail that stands out to me as relevant to her Oiver connection is her monitoring by the FBI. Simone was known for her stunning beauty and was rumored to give her chosen men a golden key to her chambers. The truth of the golden key story is under some scrutiny, but at the very least, one of those chosen men was an MI6 agent by the name of Dusko Popov. During World War II, he infiltrated the Nazis in Germany, feeding them false information about Allied operations to help ensure Allied success. He was also known as a bit of a player, the kind of man who might have a fling with a French actress. He also just happened to be friends with a man by the name of Ian Fleming. Simon boinked the real-world James Bond, a double agent himself, was monitored by the FBI, was renowned for her beauty in Hollywood and France, and passed away at the age of 93, where the then French Minister of Culture proclaimed, We have lost one of the most seductive and most brilliant stars of the French cinema. The multiple endings to the sound novel, Oi Ver, don't usually go so well for our heroine. They rarely do in stories so infused with noir sensibilities. But then again, the mercurial nature of history in Yasumi Matsuno's games means that events are often at odds with the records. There's always a a fuller story than you'd get from your grandmama. Especially if your grandmama made Mother 3. Here's something. So the sound novels in Tactics aren't credited in the staff role at the end of the main campaign. They actually have their own credit sequences when you complete them. And since they aren't in the English versions, there's virtually no English documentation out there about who actually contributed what to these secret games. I only happened upon the ending of Oiver while scrubbing through Japanese capture footage on Nico Video while trying to hear what music tracks were used throughout the story. There are two names that stand out like a Nissan Figaro. Look it up. Scenario a position that usually denotes lead scenario writer, is credited to none other than Nobuyuki Inoue, a man who only appears in the main game's credits as a planner. You may recognize Inoue as the scenario director for classics like The Legend of Mana, Magical Vacation, or as director of Mother 3. His most notable work for my money prior to Tactics was as scenario writer for one of my all-time favorites, Live Alive. I love all of these games, and I was delighted to see his name appear so prominently in the credits for Oiver. That's all well and good, but I can hear you screaming. What does this have to do with Final Fantasy XIV? 
next to Inoue's name in the planner section of the tactics credits is someone named Kazutoyo Maihiro. According to Moby Games, this is his first credit as a game developer, which is interesting because in the credits for Oiver, he's listed as the director. That's pretty cool for an up-and-comer. Seems like a nice feather in his cap to, to take the reins of such a cool little corner of such a beloved game. Can you imagine if he went on to become the main scenario writer for Final Fantasy XIV or Realm Reborn, Final Fantasy XIV Heavensward, and Final Fantasy XVI? That would be really cool, and he did do that. According to Geralt, and the scraps of records we can piece together through Final Fantasy XIV's text. Wii U, our English localization analog of Oiver, was a summoner in ancient Alag around five to six thousand years ago. She was known for her beauty, and legend says that she was slain in a battle with the primal Odin while protecting her comrades. But, by Geralt's own admission, the book Under the Veil paints a more complex picture of her life's events. It's no surprise that the story of Oiver comes from the same place that gave us the Durai papers, telling a history of Ivelisse that was suppressed by those in power. What elements of We Use history line up with Oiver? Which version? of Oiver? Is her rumored death at the hands of Odin part of the puzzle? With Odin's origin tied to the summoning of Eureka during the Allegan Empire's reign, are there clues to be found in Eureka Orthos? Did she stop the Allegan James Bond? We may never know. With my hero on FF16 and Matsuno no longer working on his Ivelisse storyline in FF14, there's little reason for anyone to return to this thread. But if we ever get a chance to pull on that thread a bit more, we may very well unravel the veil that hides those green eyes. Charlian Dropouts is part of the Acts of the Blood God Patreon, and listener support is the only reason I'm able to go on deep dives like this into some incidental texts that only a fraction of players will ever see. But I hope that you enjoyed it, got something out of it, whether it's an appreciation for sound novels, French cinema, or a prompt for a roleplay campaign for you and your summoner friends. You can show your support by subscribing at patreon.com slash bloodgodpod for access to our monthly Charlian Dropouts roundtable episodes with my fellow hosts, Nadia Oxford and Mike Williams, as well as tons of Acts of the Blood God episodes and our Discord, where you can join our FF14 channel and party up for some treasure maps with our lovely community there. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at CharlianPod and at BloodGodPod, as well as myself at Victor E. Hunter. That's Victor, the letter E, Hunter. I'll have links to resources for this episode in the show notes, but I want to shout out 
Hardcore Gaming 101's article, The Tale of Oiver by Kurt Collada, Final Fantasy Tactics, the sound novels from the blog Marathon Gaming Retrospectives, and The Origin of Visual Novels by Bowl of Lentils on YouTube. Check those out for further reading, as well as the excellent English fan translation of Oiver by Mark Rosa that I truly cannot recommend enough. I love this thing! Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. Until next time, knowledge seeks no one. A bientôt, moi vert. I actually think um, Quantum of Solace is quite good. Uh, it, it's kind of, I mean, coming off the heels of Casino Royale, you're you're doomed from the start but i i, I don't know I, I think it's worth reassessing it, it, it's it, yeah, it's a solid james bond movie I, I like it quite a bit it's a good it's a good craig bond i mm, i should have used this as an excuse to talk more about james bond i only have so much time in the day you know but uh um i wanted to talk i i, I could have done uh, an extra half hour on james bond and french new wave cinema Go go try rewatching Quantum of Solace because I know you saw it once and forgot about it and don't remember what happens in it. And let me know if you liked it more this time. And then go watch something. Watch Elevator to the Gallows. That's a good one. That's got that's got the right amount of noir romance. Uh, class struggle, you know. That's kind of oiver-ish. As far as, you know, real, real 60s new wave goes. Well, this was fun.